Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. This is our final sermon in a series called E3. Oh, by the way, I'm really excited about the series we're going to start next week. Uh, For the summer, we're going to do a series called Big Little Letters. Big Little Letters, where each week we're going to look at a different letter from Paul to the church. Uh, so that way, I know some of you are gone uh, on different Sundays during the summer. Uh, obviously, every, a lot of people decided Memorial Day was a good weekend to be gone. Uh, but And we bless them at the beach. Hope they get rained on. And anyway, <clears throat> no, I'm not that, that petty, really. But <laughs> um, Anyway, we're going to be studying the letters of Paul. And we'll give you a lead-in uh, to each letter. So next week, we're going to do 1 Thessalonians... Can you guess what will be the next week? Y'all are dang brilliant, you are. Uh, Second Thessalonians will be the next week. Um, Scott and Gabe will be sharing in uh, the preaching duties for the whole summer with me. And so we're going to look at a different letter of Paul every single week. We'll give you an outline of it, help you to know how to read it. We can't obviously cover the entire letter, and some of them, like First Thessalonians, are five chapters long, so it's a little challenging to... to, to but we'll look at the theme of the letter help us understand how we can read it better. It's going to be a great series, so come this summer and bring friends. It'll it'll be a great time. We're finishing up today a series called E3. We just had our 25th anniversary as a church back in April, and we've had some new people come into fullness, and it's always a good reminder to those of us who are part of fullness to say, who are we and why? what are we doing as a church? What has God got us here for? So here at fullness, we have kind of distilled what uh, we believe God has called us to do into these three E statements, hence E3, you get it? Uh, the first is this, we are to encounter God and his people. In every setting, whether it's small group, corporate worship, youth, children, when someone comes into that setting, we want them to encounter God and his people. We believe that God is encountered through the people of God, gathered as the people of God. Uh, we, it is really our heart's cry that at every single moment, whether we're, however we're living our lives, that, that even out in the world, in the workplace, that where we are, that when someone encounters us, they encounter the presence of God because the Spirit of God infills us and indwells us. And then on, in corporate worship on Sunday morning to come together and to uh, glorify Him together in which... The church edifies one another, reveals God, and um, represents him on the earth. That was the first, actually week two of the sermon series. Then, last week, we looked at how we are called to experience the Holy Spirit and our purpose. Experience the Holy Spirit and our purpose. I said last week that two of the greatest days of your life were, were the day you were born and the day you discovered why. Why are you here? Um, both awesome days. And I, I would contend there are a lot of people still looking for the why am I here? What is my purpose here? And what I was trying to hopefully encourage last week is this truth that you cannot discover your purpose apart from the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the infilling and empowering of the Holy Spirit in your life. That if you really want to discover who you are and why you're here, it's not just that you were created, but that you were redeemed, and you were redeemed for a purpose. 
which hence leads me to the third point that we're going to talk about today is that God has called us to expand our influence, expand the kingdom of God by making a difference in the world around us. It is not enough. I don't, I would, I would contend that it's not enough that you encounter God and his people or even that you experience the Holy Spirit and discover your purpose. If you stop right there, you'll forever be stunted as a follower of Jesus Christ. Instead, I would contend that these two lead to a third, which is we're to expand God's kingdom around us. To see it expand every place we go, every place we step our foot, every word that we speak, we're to see the kingdom of God expand around us. Too often the church has been just said, has said, this is, it is great. Let's just come together. Let's just worship. We love Jesus. Let's get filled with the Spirit. Let's dance and sing and see signs and wonders. But those things are, are wonderful, but they should lead to a next point which is the expansion of God's kingdom. Uh, Jesus says this in Matthew. Jesus, these are some of his final words. And I, I believe they apply to us as well as his immediate followers. Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. By the way, there's an implication here. His implication is this, all authority has been given to me and I am anointing you. I'm passing that authority onto you. There's a way in the wording of this that Jesus isn't just saying, all authority is given to me, now I order you to go do this. He's saying, all authority has been given to me, and I'm giving that authority to you as my followers to go out and to do this. He goes, some of you aren't as excited about that as I am. <clears throat> See, I was raised Southern Baptist. You know this, we've talked about it. And Southern Baptists, we have like two verses we memorize right off the bat. I mean, it, you, you can't say dad that first. You have to have John 3.16 and the Great Commission memorized first before you do anything else in life. But we always start with, therefore, go and make disciples. Now, see, I, I believe that we're to go and make disciples. But somebody forgot to tell me that the reason I get to go and make disciples is because all authority has been given to me. You see, if I try and go and make disciples without the encounter of the Holy Spirit and discovering my purpose, it's just going to be a human endeavor. I'm going to be frustrated. It's going to just be work, right? But I've got the authority, the presence, the power of God in me to go and make disciples. And Jesus promises us that he's going to be with us even to the very end of the age. Now, if that's not enough verse for you, look at the way it's worded in Acts 1.8. But you will what? Receive power. Then what are you supposed to do? You're called to be my witnesses. You're going to receive power. What kind of power? The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Then go, then just go to church and have a great time. Don't tell anybody about it. Just get the Holy Spirit and party all the time. No, we receive the Holy Spirit and then he empowers us to go. There is an expansion of the kingdom of God that's built into who we are. And if we're ever going to discover our identity in him, it, can't, it doesn't start with going. It starts with encountering God, being filled with the Holy Spirit, but it always, always should result in going. 
and expanding. Now, you may be saying, look, I, I'm buying into it so far, but I'm afraid you're going to tell me where I have to go. You know, Jesus said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts. Most of you just start with the uttermost parts. Oh, if I do this, it's going to be the ends of the earth. You know, it's going to be like Nate and Cheryl going to Ethiopia kind of thing. That's where God's going to stick me. No, start with your Jerusalem, your local setting, Judea. God will expand it. Don't just jump to the ends of the earth unless God clearly says it to you. But start somewhere. Start with your family. Start with your children. Start somewhere with seeing God's kingdom expand around you. Because his power indwells you. We've already seen this. We, we've seen that we need the eyes of our heart open so we can know the resurrection power that's at work within us. We've, we've got the love of God in us. We, we have everything we need for life and godliness. In the person and work of the Holy Spirit through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, now we've got to get up and go. I'm not trying to guilt you into it. I'm trying to get you excited about it. The possibilities. I mean, I don't want to stand up here and say, oh, some of you horrible people are not doing what God has... You know, it's not that. It is a response to the grace and power of God that indwells us that we shouldn't be able to sit down. But by the light of God and love of God, we should say, i got to tell somebody about this. Hence, we get to Ephesians 4, where Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, see, again, I come from a Baptist background, as I've already mentioned over and over and over again. You're going to get tired of hearing it. I just come from a church background where I always seem to pick up on, hey, Jesus saved you, now live a life worthy. But Paul has spent three chapters telling us how we can live a life worthy. He doesn't just jump into, hey, live a life worthy. He's told us, I want the eyes of your heart to be open to know the hope to which he has called you. You were, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive in Christ Jesus and your Christ's workmanship. The church, the body of Christ is being built up. It's He's given us a whole theology of who we are in him by the power of the Spirit and the redemptive work of Jesus Christ and, and the body of Christ coming together. All of these things, but now he flips it and says, based on all of this, now live a life worthy. Really is what he's saying is you can't help but live a life. If you've really got these first three chapters, the fourth is going to happen. And, and it's a call of God. Live a life worthy of the calling you've received. You know, there's power in the word of God. There is power in the calling that God has on our life. Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus, and what did he do? He called him. He called the dead guy. Right? He said, Lazarus, come forth. And there was power in the released word of God in the life of Lazarus that called him out. To me, it's a picture of the redemptive work of God in our lives. He has called us. We responded by getting up off of the stone or whatever 
getting the grave clothes off, getting out. We respond to his call. Now, live a life worthy of the calling. We've all been called. As a result of this, how do we expand our influence? How, how do we do this? How do we expand our influence by making a difference? And that's what leads me to the points today. And I think they're pretty obvious, but they're obvious is not always easy, is it? Hello? I mean, sometimes obvious is really hard. And so I just want to remind you uh, to live a life worthy of the calling. Live. It's a call to living. Paul says, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I think that if we're not careful, we, we, we easily fall into one of these two ditches. One of the ditch, ditches is um, the ditch of theology only. You know, God loves those who are the most theologically correct, right? Uh, no, that was, that's called sarcasm, people. Um, no, 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 it's not true. Theology is important. What we believe, truth is important, but it is not an only place to stand. Hence the first three chapters of Ephesians, where he tells us, here's the theology of why. But then other people fall in the ditch of experientialism. It's all about what I do. It's my practice only. It's either what I believe or what I practice Paul is saying, no, 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 you practice what you believe, but they go together hand in hand. They must be taken together. And this word worthy is the Greek word axios, A-X-I-O-S, from which we get axiomatic or an axiom. There's a truth, an idea of weight upon this. Basically, he's saying, listen, based on all I've told you, Live a life worthy with the weight of God that's driving us forward. What does that life look like? A life worthy. He says in verse 2, okay, here's something about this life. Be completely, what? Humble. Isn't that a tough one to start with? Humility. Lord, keep me humble without humiliating me kind of thing. Be humble, be gentle, be patient, bearing one another in love. Wow, what a, I mean, think about this list. Wouldn't you have preferred, he said, look, live a life worthy of the calling I've got on you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to give this much money to the church. I want you to serve here. I want you to do that. I want you to do this. But no, instead, Man, these things he calls us to live a life worthy. Okay, here's what it looks like. Be completely humble, be gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. I got to tell you, I look at the list, I'm like, I am failing miserably here. Why? Because these seem to go counter, especially to our American independent, I am first kind of mentality. It is about others being placed first, about loving others in, a, in, in, in incredible ways. You know, I look at this list, and I, I, I have to ask, is this even possible to live this kind of life? Well, 
I'm answering my own question here, but Paul says this, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from where? Comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit again. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Yes, praise God, I'm incompetent to do this in and of myself. I mean, honestly, I, I can't do it. And you know what? I take pride in the fact I can't do it. Really. And the more I try to do it, the more I'm going to fail at it. Okay, I'm going to be humble today. You know what I mean? Really. Even going there, just it, it's so prideful to say I'm going to live. Uh, the only way I can do it is by the power of the Spirit. And Paul recognizes this, that the only competence we have is in him. But isn't that what he's been telling us for three chapters? To say, living a life by the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit, this is the way you do it. The power of the Spirit gives us the ability to live this life. It's the only way we can, by leaning into him on a every moment of everyday basis. Otherwise, it's legalism. Oh, I have to do this. I've got to do this. And then I try to do it. And legalism always does what? always kills. It's death, but the Spirit brings life. Here's how the message puts these first couple of verses from Ephesians 4. In light of all this, again, the light of all this is what he said for three chapters. Here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. Live a life. Live a life. It's a call. This call that God has on us to live a life worthy, first of all, starts with actually living. It is a call to living. It is also a call to unity. Going back to Ephesians 4, verses 3 through 6. I'm just going through the chapter here. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What is the source of our unity? Make every effort to keep the unity of the, the Spirit. The Spirit is our... Okay. Apart from the power of the Spirit, not only can I not be humble and gentle and loving, our unity apart from the power of the Spirit, is going to have, would, be ha would have to be based, excuse me, on some external force, right? In other words, if I'm going to try and unify 200 people, how am I going to do it? Well, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to force you to be unified either around a thought, an idea, or an action, an activity, or some common goal, and it's going to be a 
could do it for a while, honestly, probably, maybe. But long term, the kind of unity that Paul is talking about here can only come from an outside force indwelling me. The power of God, the unity of the Spirit. Listen, I'm not going to go back historically, but I could talk about a number of horrible movements in our world that have occurred because a, a powerful leader convinced the people to be unified for something. Great horrors have happened in our world. I mean, it, it, you know, it, Hitler's always a great example of a horror, but he didn't even bother to, to pretend that he was lying. I mean, he, he basically said, hey, no one's going to ask the victor if he told the truth. What well, counts is winning. And he unified people around, around an idea that had been written before him called the big lie. Look, let's get a common enemy. Let's identify that enemy. Well, are they really an enemy? Doesn't matter. Let's just call them that. And I'll get everybody believing it, and we'll go after them together. Listen, we can, unity can be a powerful thing, but it can be a horrible thing. Paul was saying, look, you are unified by the Spirit of God through the bond of, not war, by the way, not division, but the bond of peace that's going to come. And then he goes on with all these ones, one body, one body of Christ, not a bunch, one, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. It is a call to unity. In other words, if we're going to expand the kingdom of God, how's the world going to know we're the disciples of God, Jesus? In Jesus' own words, by the love we have for one another, by the unity that comes and the love that comes. Down in verses 14, uh, excuse me, 15 and 16 of this same chapter, Ephesians 4. I know I'm jumping around. I hope you read this whole chapter. I didn't read the whole thing to you, but please, I encourage you to read the whole thing in its flow and context. It says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Again, how are we going to see the kingdom of God expand? Well, God has gifted every single one of you, all of us, with certain giftings. And this body that's held together by the power of the Spirit that, that is the body of Christ will be built up as each part of us does its work. I could stay there for a long time, but I won't. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Call to unity, call to living, and a call to maturity. If we're going to expand the kingdom of God, we need to be raised up into maturity. Again, back in Ephesians 4, I'm skipping down to verses, um, um, it says 3 and 6, but it should be 11 through 13. Verses 11 through 13, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for what? I even highlighted it for you. Works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith 
which we just talked about, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We're to grow up in the Lord. We're called to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Some other passages from other uh, books of the Bible that speak to this. Hebrews 6.1 says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings of the faith about Christ and go on to maturity. We've talked about that in the past, what that looks like going on to maturity. James 1.4 says, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Ephesians 4.7 says, But to each of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Okay, here's the idea. Did, did any of you read about this guy this week? Uh, some of you are already shaking your heads. You don't even know which guy I'm talking about yet. Yeah, I read it. You probably did or heard about it. About the 30-year-old whose parents had to have him evicted from their house. The dude wouldn't leave. Oh, I'm saying I got it good here. I'm never leaving this house. He had no job. He had no, he was just sitting at home playing video games all the time. And his parents even gave him like $1,000 and said, hey, here's 1000 go get started. He spent the 1000 on other stuff. Never left. They, it finally reached a point they had to go to the court and get him evicted. And the guy's defense is just, you should read the article on some of the things. He's got a beard, long hair. Not that I'm against those things at all in any way but it's like as a hermit he's been sitting at home just kind of i'm not leaving why because you can be mature physically be able to grow a beard grow long hair again i'm not against those things he demonstrated the signs of physical maturity but he never he was not mature why? Because, let me just go ahead and say this. There is an element of maturity that calls for us to leave our parents' home and to start life. I mean, maturity is, and if you're living at your parents' home, please don't, and you're like over whatever age, don't, 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 please do not hear me saying. But for someone who has the ability, but is staying, there's something about maturing that calls for us to move. There's something about the church being mature that calls for us to not keep just studying a passage over and over again, but to step out and to start doing. Because see, God, God has given each of us, he's given us an area of grace. He, here's the way I think this this passage, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. There, there's an element where you can translate this sphere of influence. Uh, God has given you a, an area of grace, a sphere of influence in your life. And, and he's given you the ability to work that sphere. There's a goal here, people. The goal is not that you come to church every week. I, I, I'm for that. 
I like you being here. I like us being together. There's an aspect of that. But the goal is not but for us to grow up to maturity so that when we go out in the world on an every single day basis, we're manifesting the light and glory of God. There is an expansion project we are called to do. You know, earlier I talked about how we are part of God's kingdom family, father and sons and daughters, fathers and children, according to Romans. We're part of the family business, and it is an expansion business. We're called to see God's kingdom expand. We're to represent him, represent him wherever we go. We're to go and make disciples. Some signs of maturity are, according to Ephesians, living the life worthy, unity and teamwork, speaking the truth in love, not being blown around by every wind of doctrine, obedience, using our gifts to minister to others, being a teacher. By that, I don't mean you have to teach a class, but you are sharing. That's part of disciple-making. You're teaching somebody somewhere about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's some steps to maturity, just in case you want to write these down. Having a direction, moving forward with and toward Jesus Christ. Being willing to take correction. Willing to be disciplined when mistakes are made. Let me say this about becoming mature too. You, you'll never really become mature until you're willing to make mistakes. Perfectionism doesn't work ever. I mean, really, because perfectionists are frozen because they're afraid to make a mistake. I mean, whatever skill you're going to learn, whatever ability, if you're going to make mistakes. And by, by the way, when you do, be willing to say, hey, I made a mistake. I, I messed up here. God is going to correct you, by the way. He's going to discipline you because he loves you. And by the way, not doing anything will not get you away from discipline. Because God will discipline you to get you to do stuff. Understand? You can't hide, in other words. Okay, I'm going to move on. You're not... Clarification. We, sometimes we just need a clearer word about what's going on. Reclarifying the way. Sometimes we start off on a journey and we think, oh, I got the first five steps, and then we get to first step eight, nine, ten, and we realize, wait, wait, wait a minute. Where, where am I? What am I doing? Sometimes we need further clarification about what we're doing and where we're, where we're headed. And it helps to know where our destination is. Knowing that, you, do, you, do you know in the word destination, there's kind of that core of destiny? You know, I think, I, I teach this over and over again. I believe every person has a destiny, a, a calling, a, a life to be lived in the Lord. But it can only be found in the Lord by the power of the Spirit. And I think within the context of the people of God, helping us grow up to maturity. And finally, there's this. There's this call to action. You knew I was going to get to this some point probably, is that we, uh, we have to get out there and actually do something. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Peter says this. You get a little fast on the clicker. Uh, Therefore, prepare your minds for what? Action. Be self-controlled. 
Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And of course, James, the book of action, says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. We need, we need to understand that it results in us doing something. Oswald Sanders said this, a saint's life is in the hands of God like a bow and arrow in the hands of an archer. God is aiming at something the saint cannot see, but our Lord continues to stretch and strain, and every once in a while the saint says, I can't take it anymore. Yet God pays no attention. He goes on stretching until his purpose is in sight, and then he lets the arrow fly. I love this passage, basically because in the end, the arrow has to fly. It's one thing to be in the hands of the archer, and then nothing. Stretched, and then nothing. That's, that's to me, that is a shortcoming in the way that churches and believers at times think. There is always a flying in the purpose and plan of God to let the arrows fly. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, For it is grace you have been saved through faith. Praise God through for grace, faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Please get this clearly. You cannot save yourself. It is all a gift of God by grace through faith. No work does it. But then he flips it and says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Notice the movement of this passage. You were dead, but by grace you've been made alive. It's activated. The gift of grace is activated by faith. Even that's a gift of God. Complicated. But we respond by being what God has created us to be. You know, I've heard people in the past say, look, you're not human doings, you're human beings. You know, you've probably heard that phrase. You're not human doings, you're human beings. Being in Christ is all that matters. I would say, you know what? There, that is the starting point. But if all you think is it's just me being in Christ, then again, there's some lack of maturity that has occurred because being results in doing. You are God's workmanship created in advance to do what? Good works. Now listen, again, I'm not trying to beat us up or make us feel guilty. I, I've been a part of the you got to do it mentality. You know, just the little engine that could. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can kind of thing. That, that doesn't work so good either. But there is a balance here that says, look, by the grace of God, now that all of this has taken place in my life, live a life worthy of the calling that he's given you. Mother Teresa said this, with Jesus, for Jesus, to Jesus. I am like a pencil in his hand. That's all. 
He does the thinking. He does the writing. The pencil has nothing to do with it. The pencil has only to be allowed to be used. But be allowed to be used. In other words, let God use you to write the purpose and plan of his kingdom in the world around us. How is this done? See, here's what I believe that Ephesians is saying. We're all ministers of the gospel. By the way, if you look at me as the minister here, then I, I understand the terms we use in the pastor and minister, but why did God give apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists? So that you would be, we'd all become mature to do works of service. In other words, to minister. We're all ministers. We're all ministers. Who do we minister to? We're called to serve God. We are called to serve God. We are a kingdom of priests. We are a chosen people. Why? So that we can declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. We minister to God. We serve him in whatever way. We're his ambassadors. We represent him. I could go through all these scripture passages, but we're, we're called to serve God as a kingdom of priests. We're called to serve the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 again, but it was he who gave some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. Why? To prepare God, God's people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ could be built up. Again, why? Until we all reach unity in the faith. By the way, have we all reached unity in the faith yet? I would contend no. Uh, not quite yet. We're not quite there. So go back. Prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ can be built up so that we can reach unity in the faith. So, and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I believe that's what God has called us to do. And let me say this. <clears throat> to expand, expand by seeing our sphere of influence Here's, here's what I'm trying to get you to see, because here's the third point. Let me just say it so you can go ahead and write it down. We're called to serve the world. The two greatest days that ever happened, remember? The day that you were born, the day you found out why. Listen, I understand that salvation is worked into there and then filling of the Spirit. But I would contend this, that you will never really discover who you are and why God has you here until you step out as his workmanship to do what he's called you to do. That includes serving him. That includes discovering your spiritual giftedness so that you can build up the body of Christ, helping do what you're called to do within the context of the body, and to serve the world. It's not an either-or proposition. It's all of this called together to serve him, help build up the body of Christ, and to minister life to the, to the world. Jesus, when he sees crowds, he has compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Who, who was harassing them? Well, the enemy was, the religious leaders were, the political leaders were. They were being harassed a lot. 
And so he, in turn, has compassion on them. And he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Here's another way I, I, I like to phrase this. Just like you have a sphere of influence, every single one of you has a harvest field. In other words, when I first read this passage when I was younger, here's my thought. Oh, God, send those laborers out into that harvest field. Call people, Lord, to go out and harvest the field. Do you know the one person I wasn't praying for in that prayer? Me. Oh, am I one of the laborers? And the answer, by the way, is always, always yes. In other words, God, Jesus is saying to the, his followers, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. And by the way, you're a laborer. What we need to pray is not send me, but God, show me my harvest field. Show me my field that you've called me to harvest. Look, I, this may be my harvest field, just this little square right here. Okay, I'm not going to argue with God over my harvest field. It may not be a big field, but it's a field. God, give me the, let me do it well. Maybe your field is a little bigger. Maybe your field is huge. Don't argue with God over the field. Just say yes and let his anointing touch your life to, to harvest that field. By the way, here's another kingdom principle. Faithful with little and trusted with much. You're faithful with that harvest field? Guess what God's going to do? I got a bigger one for you. Here, stretch out a little bit. Expand my sphere of influence. Part of the deal here, though, people, is that we got to get close to people. A harvest field is not this nebulous wheat thing. It's people. It's people. Carl Lentz says this, proximity creates passion. Distance creates distortion. Whatever you're close to, you will be passionate about. Whatever you're far from, you will not care about. That's why many pastors start out passionate about the lost, and then over the years, it becomes professional. It becomes corporate. By the way, I, I pulled this out because he is talking specifically to pastors, but I think it applies to all people. There are times where we're really passionate about people. But then as years go along, that passion wanes. And we become passionate about aloneness. We're passionate about retirement. Passionate about stuff. And he says, it becomes corporate. And we start to miss the culture. I want my hands to be as dirty as they can be. There is something about making sure you feel humanity again. This is the call of God on our lives as ministers, to reach out just as Jesus did to a hurt and dying world with the hands of love and hope and most of all, a life that demonstrates the love of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. Because his intent was that through the church, us, we would display his glory to who? The rulers and authorities in heavenly realms, but really to the whole world. Here's my belief 
for us is fullness. God has called us to encounter himself and his people. Then, to experience the the person and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can know our purpose in him, so that we can expand this sphere of influence, the influence of God that he's given us by making a difference in the world. We want to help, help you do that in every way possible. We want to help you discover your spiritual gifting so you can build up the body. We want to help you discover how you can serve God in a more uh, effective capacity. We want, to, we want to help you if God gives you a vision for the world. We want to help you. We want to do everything we can to see that take place in your life in the days ahead. Begin to pray that God would show you how this works in you and for, for us. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you today for your work and your power that is available to us. Lord, we are so very, very grateful for what you've done in us and through us and to us. And Lord, I pray this morning that we would catch the vision of what it means to be your ambassadors, of representing you to the world, to see the kingdom of God expand around us. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I, pray, I thank you for fullness. I thank you for every single person here. That, God, you have a calling on our lives. Lord, I pray that the, in, the lies of the enemy that are keeping people sitting here right now from stepping out to accomplish their destiny and see their sphere of influence expand, that, God, those lies would be torn down in the name of Jesus and instead that the power of the Spirit would infill us and indwell us. Thank you, Lord. Glory be to your name. I pray today that, Lord of the harvest, you would send laborers into the harvest field. And, Lord, let it begin with us. Show us our field to harvest. Show us our harvest field. And then, God, I'm praying you would send us out in might and in power to accomplish your purpose. Thank you. Lord, I pray that right now as we come to a time of giving of an offering, that God, this would, really, when we put this little bit in, whatever it is that we're putting in the offering plate this morning, that God, we're, we're saying, take me, Lord, and use me to expand your kingdom. Just as you're going to take this little bit of resources, this money, this represents me. Take me and use me for your kingdom. Expand your kingdom through me. May I be found faithful with everything you've entrusted to my care. Lord, may this be an act of worship where we declare your glory and your goodness today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We are going to take up an offering. If you're new to fullness, there is a uh, connection card in your bulletin or there's one in the seat back in front of you. Just take that connection card before the ushers come down. We're going to give you a moment to fill out this card. Um, if you have a prayer request that you would like someone to pray with you about this week, put it on the card. We'll pray for you this week. If you have anything else, if you want somebody from the staff to contact you, 
Uh, if you have some need and you would like a team of people to get with you to pray for you, put it on the card. Whatever you have, as far as that is concerned, to put it on the card. Please read your um, bulletin. There's some opportunities for service. I do want to highlight one thing just to let you know. Next week in our service, uh, not only am I going to be sharing about 1 Thessalonians as we begin that new study, and I would encourage you to read those five chapters of that book before next Sunday, but we're going to be highlighting some of the campus ministries that we support. Um, there are at least three different ones we support, and there's one or two others that we don't give active resources to, but we support because people, part of those ministries, come to our church. We're going to highlight those in a short video, and then afterwards, um, there is a, a luncheon that you're invited to to hear more about those campus ministries. And also next Sunday, Tom Odapon will be with us sharing briefly about God's work in India, and then he'll be at that lunch as well. It's a potluck lunch. And um, some of you have asked, do I need to bring anything to potluck lunch? To, to me, that seems inherent in the potluck